0: Romans chapter 1. I felt it was important that we got back into verse by verse in Romans. God's Word is exactly what we need in these times and in these days that we're living. I'm thankful for what we were able to do Sunday night around the table. Pastor Ralph and I were able to sit and join in together in conversation around God's Word and what's happening in this world. If you miss that, Please go back and watch it. I think there is a level of encouragement for God's children to understand that we are so close to his second coming. That that's encouraging to me. It's a blessing to me to know that at any moment my Lord and Savior could return. I'm looking for him at any moment. I'm thankful that there is a spirit of revival in our city and one of our high schools. Praise God for that. I promise you. That is not the norm anywhere in America right now. Thank God for that. But I'm looking for revival. I want God to send revival. Uh, But before we can experience nationwide revival again, we may experience nationwide rapture. The Lord may come before it's all said and done. But it does not give us an excuse to stay at the house to hide our light under a bushel, to be bold with our faith. What happened this weekend with those teenagers is exactly what needs to happen. It just needs to happen more. And all of us need to embrace that, sharing our faith, because He is coming again. I want as many people as possible to go to heaven, to rob the devil of the glory of seeing them in hell with Him, and see them have eternal life and peace While they are living in this sin sick world before we get into our Bible study let me make mention March the 20th is friend day a very very important day here at our church Uh, if you come to church here if you're a member here if you're visiting here if you're a part and you're kind of on the fringe waiting to get in. The 20th of March is a very important day. We want every single person here to invite someone to come with them to church on that day, the 20th. We're going to have a gift to put in everybody's hand. So your guests will get a gift from Trinity. And then we're going to preach by the help of the Lord. We're already praying about an evangelistic theme for that day from God's Word. That we would present the gospel clear as possible that anyone could understand that Jesus is the hope for each person that will be here in that building on that Sunday. So please be praying now, asking God who you can invite, who you can bring. Maybe you should have a Crock-Pot at home on the 20th that's ready to go so that you can bring your guests back to your house and have a meal after service. Get creative. Uh, let's, Let's really make an effort to invite people to come to church. And if you need to entice them with a pot roast, well then praise the Lord, entice them with a pot roast dinner after church and make sure I get invited too. If you're making biscuits, definitely make sure I get invited. I'm pointing at you, Heather Hudgens. Yet to try one of those biscuits. So that's on the 20th, and on the 21st, a team leaves for Israel. Obviously, it's a study tour, an opportunity for people to see their faith come alive in the Holy Land. But we also want to take about 1,000 pounds of relief aid uh, with us via suitcase. So we've done that. I don't know how many years you've been taking suitcases, but we're going to do that yet again. We're going to try our best to take 20 suitcases uh, to the Holy Land with us above what we're already taking for ourselves. So we're going to try to really make an effort to take some extra suitcases. Uh, but Miss Sandy Griffin, would you stand up, please? You and your husband, Gary, would you stand? Uh, you're going to Israel, right, Amy? Stand up. You're part of the team. Praise the Lord. Call us and we'll get you on the next one. But if you have any questions about what goes in those suitcases, please come see the Griffin family. They can help you get that. They need 10 more suitcases with wheels that's not torn all to pieces, that closes up. So 10 more suitcases with wheels that cannot come back, so don't expect to give it and get it back. That has happened before. Candy that will not melt like suckers. She needs some more of that for those bags. Deflated soccer balls, probably need at least 10 more of those. Uh, kids there, you can give a kids uh, a group of 100 kids one soccer ball, and that's uh, like Christmas for them. And then we need kids' clothes, new or gently used kids' clothes, newborn to 10 years. So obviously Ukraine, a lot of focus. Israel, a lot of focus. Our own church family, a lot of focus. God's given us a big footprint, but uh, He wouldn't put that on us unless He knew we could do it for His glory, and I'm thankful for that. Let's pray, then we'll get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for another opportunity, God, to be in your house with your people, God, to study your word, your word that's alive and well, God, the word of God that penetrates even my heart, God, even the people who are watching and worshiping online, no matter where we are, no matter who we are tonight, the word of God can change our lives. It can penetrate the distraction and the hurt and the pain of this life and lift us up And remind us to look to the person of Jesus Christ for our hope and for our inspiration. We ask you to lead God and direct this message. Hide me behind the cross. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would have his way and have his will. Father, we've prepared the message. Now prepare the hearts, not only to be hearers of the word, but Father, that we would be doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Romans chapter 1, verse number 5. Let's quickly, quickly review from our last study that one verse. By the help of the Lord tonight, we're actually going to get through verse 6 and 7, two verses tonight. But review of this fifth verse. The key word, the pivotal word. I'm not going to go back through all of this, but very quickly. The key pivotal word here in Romans 1 is the word grace. And really that word follows this book all the way through. It's the theme of this letter, the grace, the gospel of God. So the grace that is talked about here in verse number five, we defined it, we took it for what Paul said it was as the unmerited favor which God shows guilty sinners. Grace is unmerited favor which God shows guilty sinners. In other words, there's nothing I can do in myself or in my capability to earn it to cause it to happen, it's completely a gift from God. I did not force him to give it to me. I did not uh, ask him and change his mind or persuade him. Rather, the grace of God persuades the hearts and the minds of men. It's his grace to give. So we understood that it's unmerited favor. Uh, grace is one of, if not the most crucial part ...of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. If you do not understand grace, then you cannot understand what the gospel is. If you take grace out of the gospel, you have religion. You have candle lighting. You have paying penance. You have carrying out good deeds to try to, again, earn favor or merit with God... The grace of God is not only His gift to give freely, but it is His gift to do as He pleases, when He pleases. No man, no denomination has some sort of a juxtaposed position on grace that they're able to wield it as a sword and give it to those who give and not give it to those who don't. That's not how grace works. Grace is not some sort of ecclesiastical uh, charter that we have the right to. This grace belongs to God. It's God's grace, and it's unmerited. It's favor that God gives people who don't deserve it freely. So there were three parts of that grace we talked about. Number one, we pointed out that we stand in grace. Every day when you wake up, you get out of the bed, and God gives you another day. You belong to Him. You are standing in the good grace of God. Every breath that you take on this earth is a gift from the grace of God. Every beat of your heart is yet another gift, part of the grace of God. We stand, we live in grace daily. That's how powerful this gift is. That's how uh, capable our God is. We stand in grace. Number two, we said that our Christian life is driven and that our Christian life is empowered by grace. Again, this is why religion at the end of the day, does not cut it. You'll never find the satisfaction, you'll never find uh, the real relationship that's found in Jesus is not tied to religious action, rather it is tied to the relationship and it is so intertwined, so interwoven with grace that you have to sort of step away from it, take yourself out of it and say, God, I cast myself at your mercy to be able to live and to withstand in this grace. In other words, the grace that God gives will give you in endurance. The grace that God gives will give you exactly what you need to make it through this life. There may be days, there may be hours of your life you feel like you're up against the wall or you're in a situation or circumstance that you're not going to make it through or that you feel like is going to change everything. You'll never be happy again. You'll never smile again. Those days come in life. But the grace that God gives doesn't mean that there won't be hard days. But the grace that God gives gives you the fortitude to cast yourself at Him so that in His strength and our weakness, we can be made perfect. That's grace. That's nothing a man can do for you. As we mentioned about mercy on Sunday, the hem of his garment that the woman touched, it's so much more proof that that woman could do nothing for herself. The reason she pushed through the crowd, the reason she pressed through the people to get to Jesus is because she did not have the capability to fix herself. Grace relies completely on God. Our Christian life is driven in that. It's empowered in that. If you're coming to church and you're embracing a Christian lifestyle for the sake of being seen in a blue chair to make yourself feel better or if you're here for civic activity, you are missing the greatest relationship possible on this universe. And that's a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion just doesn't cut it. And thirdly, we are to grow in the grace And in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I'm thankful that the day I got saved when I was 15, that God did not leave me there as a spiritual newborn in the bassinet to consume milk for the rest of my life. Rather, as you can see, I grew, I got older, and spiritually speaking, I've grown. I've been able to see more of God's Word. I know now what it is to carry a prayer life and a burden. I see things in Scripture that I didn't see 10 years ago. I understand things better today than I did even yesterday. Praise God He didn't just bring us into the family to leave us as spiritual wimps, spiritual babies, But he's growing strong people with fortified bones, spiritually speaking, people who can consume meat. In other words, you can sit right up to the table of God's word and get out a 14 ounce medium cooked with char all the way around ribeye of spiritual goodness. And enjoy every bite of it and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can grow. You don't have to stay where you are. As a matter of fact, if you're staying put where you are, number one, you're you're really missing the point of a Christian life and a Christian walk. It's the prayer of John 3.30 that you continue to decrease and that God inside of you continues to spring up, that He grows. That when people talk to you, they don't see you, they don't hear you, but they hear a representation of what God wants you to say to them, growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, in that message for review, we talked about the contrast of grace to the law. Grace does not absolve the law. Grace does not make the law disappear, but rather grace uplifts the law. There is the perfect law of liberty found in grace. Grace does not give us the opportunity to live as some sort of wild animal because we're under grace. We can live as we please and do as we please and do it with whomever we please to do life with, how we want to do it, as some sort of out of control visa that never runs out of expense. No, no, no. This life of grace causes us to see Christ for who He is. We then bow in submission to who He is in obedience to the law of grace. Now I'm a son, I'm a daughter that belongs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Does it mean that I'm going to be perfect? No. But that's why it's called grace. It's His grace to give. Galatians 2.21, we talked about this verse. I want to just read it again. Make a note if you weren't here. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Let me read it again. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead In vain. There is nothing within the mechanics of men's good works that can replace what Christ did on the cross. There's nothing. Galatians 5:4 Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. I'm justified, praise God, thank God, hallelujah to the name of God. I'm justified by grace, not by the law. So Paul really wanted the readers of this letter to absolutely understand, making sure that they knew that grace does not nullify the moral demands of God's law. It causes us rather to want to live more for God and be like him. The old things passed away. The new man regenerated in Christ. It fulfills the righteousness of the law because of Christ. And so we come to the end of that verse, the end of verse number five. And where I think we need to pick up before we hit these two verses tonight quickly is this word obedience. Obedience. I had a problem as a child when it came to simple tasks of obedience. It were so simple, these tasks, that I remember having issue with, like pick up your room. I would rather start a world war and explain away like I was giving a dissertation for a life sentence to be stayed than to pick up my room. It's the rebellious nature of man. And I displayed it well as a young unsaved child. Can any parents in here say amen to what I just said? Amen. amen. I remember the rebellion. I remember the, the, almost the hatred and the heat of being told what to do. Can I submit to you that the spiritual man has that same element attached to him? The hatefulness, the rebellious spirit, and what God is asking his children to do as they are exposed to the grace, as they grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they become obedient to His Word. Being obedient to the Word of God, being obedient to the leadership and the guardrails, if you will, of the Holy Spirit is sometimes not an easy thing to do. Your flesh goes up against everything that God wants you to do. Your flesh will tell you to do this when God's word says to do that. But you have a choice, listen to the words I'm saying, you have a choice, you have free will to choose what to do. And you can either choose to obey God, growing in the grace and the knowledge of God, or you can choose to disobey God, even though you have grown in the grace and the knowledge of God. That is a form of spiritual rebellion, that I know the truth, that I see the light, but I still choose not to obey. And God's teaching His children in Rome through the Apostle Paul that this Grace that was given, this mercy that was bestowed, when it is applied to the life of a sinner who did not deserve it. The sinner should then see Christ for who he is. The sinner should then see himself for what he is, embrace the grace that was given to him from God, and then in response to the grace, be obedient. Grace should make us be obedient. Not as some sort of opportunity to bend the rule or to break God's heart. Can you imagine giving someone the greatest gift you've ever given them in your life? Giving them your own child, sacrificing your own son on their behalf and them somehow taking it into their own humanity and conjuring up some sort of new deal. Well, God gets me. He understands me. Uh, The big man upstairs knows me. No, no, no. Obedient children to a God who gave great grace. That's what God requires of His people is obedience. So let's move on. That's the end of verse number 5. It's a call for us in His name to be obedient to Him. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. Verse number six says, among whom are ye also the called, the called of Jesus Christ. I want you to take a pen or a highlighter, whatever you use. And I want you to underline those two words, the called, The, the called, very specifically there, the called. If I go through the New Testament and I understand what that word called is, this specific time and multiple times throughout the New Testament, especially when the Apostle Paul is writing, this called is an effectual call. This is a call that's very specific to someone who is known. This is a call that's not the general call to all mankind of the gospel. In other words, this called is the call those that have been called from death unto life, those that have been called out of darkness into light. This specific called here is talking about people who are saved. The called of God. And he says in this verse, among whom are ye also the called Of God. He was reminding them that they're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and that just as much as the Apostle Paul is a saved man, a child of God, so are these dear Christians, these dear people in Rome. In other words, there are no secret sauce levels to being in God's good favor. You're either saved or you are lost. You're either saved or you are lost. White people in the United States of America, black people in the United States of America who are saved are just as saved as the opposite. The people in Africa who are saved are just as much the children of God as we are here tonight. Those in the Ukraine who are running for their lives, who belong to the family of God, the called, they're just as much saved as you are tonight. Ye are also the called, This isn't some sort of general plea for men to respond to the good news of the gospel. No, no, no. This is personal. This is the people who are in the faith. People who have been called out. The called of Jesus Christ. God's effectual call that he called them out of their sin. Matthew 20, 16 gives us a great indication into this. Matthew 20, 16, So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. For many be called, but few chosen. More to come on that in a moment. Notice the word Rome is used here. It's very, very important for us to understand what's being said and to whom it is being said. At this point in time, When the Apostle Paul is writing this, remember, we've started in Romans. Pastor Ralph started almost two years ago, two and a half years ago, wow, in Acts. I felt the Lord would just have us pick right up in Romans and keep going. But this is at the end. This is the third trimester, if you will, of the Apostle Paul's ministry. He's in the winter months of his ministry. But he's writing this to a group of people in Rome who are living in very adverse times. The Jews have already been expelled. Go back in history and read what happens. The Jews have already been expelled and then allowed to come back to their land. It's crazy some of the things that happens within the government of of Rome. Uh, it's incredible what some of these people lived in. But there's about a million people living in Rome at this time. Many of them are slaves. Many of them are workers. You have the Circus Maximus, the form, You have these massive buildings being built, the Colosseum. All of those things are coming into play. And that is the Rome that the Apostle Paul is writing to. And no doubt, we go back to Acts number 2, verse number 10. And we read about Pentecost and what happened at Pentecost is some people got saved full of the Holy Ghost and they got back to Rome. And what did they do? They started a church. So no doubt the Apostle Paul is writing to first and second generation Christians who were born again or who have been born into the faith from the actual day of Pentecost. That's pretty neat to think about. So he's writing to these people And he's encouraging them. And he's giving them this wonderful divine masterpiece of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on gospel doctrine. Now, in the form of setting us up for what's next in Romans 1, there are some primary purposes in the Apostle Paul writing this book. I don't want to spend forever going into context and history because there's so much here. But for us to continue to build, you've got to understand why he was writing this letter in the first place. There's a reason God has this canonized. There's a reason he's writing it and it'll bless you if you embrace what's here. He was teaching many truths in all of this letter. This letter is jam-packed. There's no telling how long we'll be able to take this apart verse by verse. But specifically, there was a visit to come. The Apostle Paul talks about his soon visit. He's going to visit Rome soon. But there were some important reasons that he wanted to visit Rome. He wanted to edify those believers. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. We know how that goes. We'll find out more later later. He wanted to get to know these Christians in Rome better. He wanted a a face with a name, if you will. He wanted to develop relationships. We cannot take the humanity out of the Apostle Paul. You can't take the humanity out of his ministry. He got tired. He got sick. He got weak. He got hungry. He got thirsty. And he wanted to make friends. He wanted good Christian friends, believers. He wanted them to be able to know him so that they could pray for him. And specifically, not only that they would pray for him, but he goes to Rome to plan his next ministry in Spain. So he wanted to go and get them saddled up on the wagon. Hey, let's go for God, do more. There's ministry to do in Spain. So there's so much intentionality in what he's saying and what he's doing. So there is a great contrast in this letter in what you'll see in a lot of other letters from the apostle Paul to churches. A lot of times you'll see the apostle Paul call out very specific sin, very specific issues. First and second Corinthians, you would not want to get that letter. That was there were some parts of that letter that were scathing. Oh my goodness that the church would fall away to such action that the church would be consumed with such pride and religion. And he calls all of that out. This letter has a little bit of a different tone. This church in Rome, for all intents and purposes, we know it to be pretty doctrinally sound. There's some issues that happen later on because of the, the Jews leaving and coming back. Uh, but for the most part, this church in Rome is pretty healthy compared to what he says to other churches in other letters. So he's trying to really put together a team for the last days of his ministry. But before he can really give them a task, before he can really charge them with what they're going to do and how to pray for him, he wants to remind them of the grace of God and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And listen, in these last days that we are living, in these tense moments before the Lord comes back, What you need more in your life is not more information about what the world is doing. Rather, take what information you do know of the world and run to the truth of God's word for more of it. If you are consuming more Fox News than you are your King James Bible, you are setting yourself up for heartburn. If you are consuming more of the world's ebb and flow and culture and ideology than you are your Bible and prayer, then you're setting yourself up to be emaciated spiritually. You need exactly what the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Rome. You need to embrace the grace and the mercy of God and know more of Him on a deeper level. So this letter, it's unlike any of these other letters, and it's rich, in doctrinal practicality, specifically about the gospel. And as we go through this letter, you're going to see some beautiful truths. I had someone tell me not too long ago, why in the world are you preaching Romans verse by verse? You're going to step on somebody's toes. That's not what we're here for. We're here to embrace God's word for what it says. Teach it and preach it according to God, not according to the thoughts and the opinions of men. Beloved of God, he says, let's go on to this next verse. Beloved of God, this is to all that be in Rome. Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We've officially read the introduction or the greeting of this letter in the first seven verses. This is where his greeting ends. And we're four messages in. Beloved of God, called to be saints. I'll close with this. There are three very distinct and separate privileges in those words. Beloved of God, called to be saints. Number one is beloved of God. I hope you're making notes. These three distinctions. Number one, beloved of God. God has set His love on His own. God has taken His love and literally put it. He has set it upon you. He has given you His love. Ephesians 1.6 To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. That is great, magnificent, Powerful love that this pastor does not have the capability to describe in the English language. That is a love that only the Holy Ghost of God can reveal in your heart. It's a love that you'll never understand until you're one of His children. The world can only see that love from the outside looking in and see it resting upon your face. But once you're in the faith, once you're in the family of God, that is a love that cannot be duplicated. That is a love that cannot be replaced. And it is a love from God Himself that He cast freely upon those whom are His children that are in the faith. That is great love. Beloved of God. If someone says of you that you are beloved of God, they have spoken a great thing about you. That God would love you. That God would not see you as an enemy. That God would not see you as one who has no hope. That God would not see you as one who is destitute and bound for an eternity in hell. But that God would look at you as a son or a daughter and say that I love you. That's great love. That's grace that God purposely, think about this, God chose to put that love towards us. We didn't force Him to do it. We didn't earn it. He chose to love us. That's great love. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not the love that God's given to us it will drive the world mad they don't understand How can you be loved unconditionally? How can you be loved right where you are? How can anyone come to this God of great love and Him, save them and give them eternal life? That's because it's God's love. It belongs to Him. And it's great and it's mighty love. And if you're here tonight and you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, the greatest love ever created in the universe loves you. There are so many of you here that you struggle with finding love in wrong places. You've struggled in your past with looking for love in different people and in different feelings and sensations of drugs and alcohol. Maybe you're watching online tonight and you're looking right now for someone to love you. The good news is the love that God has cannot be matched on this earth. It's a love that He possesses and that He gives to men freely. Praise God for that love. Beloved of God. Number two, we talked about it earlier a little bit, called. These are three distinct separations, three categories. The beloved of God, number two is called. He has extended to them not only the general external invitation to believe upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus saves. Not only does that exist in the world, it doesn't matter what your skin color is, it doesn't matter what side of town you were born on, the call to the gospel, the call to Christ is global. It's for every man, every woman, every child, every creed, everyone should hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Everyone the great news is it's not up to me, nor is it up to a church, nor is it up to a denomination to do the saving. It's not up to an emotion. It's not up to a song being played or a card signed. Rather, the call of God is an office work that belongs to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God. He does that work. It's a holy transaction. It's a holy thing. Salvation isn't something that's cheap that you can just put a sticker on your lapel and call it a day. It's a holy work of God. And the Bible says that He draws men. He woos them. He compels them. And then when the light comes on and they see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and they see Jesus for who He is, the Holy Ghost of God does the work. That's why you can be so secure in your salvation. Your pastor didn't save you. Your church didn't save you. The Holy Ghost of God convicted you of your sin and He's the one that did the work. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-14. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning... From the beginning chose you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. Not the Baptist church, not Winston, not Ralph, not Nathan, but the sanctification of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God, and belief of the truth. Thank God it's not up to a man. It's not up to a priest. It's not up to how many candles I light. It's not up to how much money I give. It's up to the Holy Ghost of God to do the work in the lives of men. Powerful, powerful truth. Simple, simple words in a letter that God divinely used to encourage you in these last days that as Satan comes and he torments the children of God and he casts out doubts and he casts out vain imaginations and it torments your mind and you feel in a dark place where you can't pray and you can't praise and you can't sing and you can't feel God. You can go back to the truth of his word, look at Satan in the face and remind him that you do not operate in how you feel rather the principle that the Holy Ghost of God is the one who saved you. And might I add that nothing can take it away from you. 2 Timothy 1 9, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to anything Winston ever did, not because his granddaddy was the pastor. Not because of anything my parents did, but according to his being God's own purpose and grace, which was given unto us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What a mighty God. John six forty four says, no man can come to me except the father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. And lastly, saints. That's the third classification. Beloved of God, called, and then the word saints. God has set believers apart from sin to himself for his glory and for his purpose. That's why when you choose to sin and you go against light received, you may be a sinner of fornication, but you're also a thief of God's glory. More important than your feelings toward your sin and how destitute it makes you feel, no matter what the sin is, when I sin against God as a saved man, I'm a thief. I rob him of his glory that was due in my life. I'm a, I owe him everything that I have. And every time that I choose not to bring him glory, not to bring him honor, not to be obedient, I'm a thief. I'm guilty of robbery, the robbery of God's glory. And when I get to heaven, I don't want to have too many infractions where I've stolen the glory. From God. Where I've taken what was supposed to be His opportunity to do a work in someone else's life, but I was too hard headed or too rebellious to do what He told me to do. But God has set apart believers, the saints, and this is for Him. These are to be holy ones, ones that are the salt, the light. The salt is a preservative. It stops the decay. It stops the rot. It keeps things in place. It doesn't allow more death to happen. It salts in and it preserves. That's what you are to do in culture. That's what you are to do at work. That is what you are to do at Irwin High School. And can I tell you something about the wonderful testimony we heard tonight from Irwin High School? That is the innocence of new life in Christ. Not knowing any different than to be bold for Christ. Because when you really get in and you really see Christ for who He is, you'll want to tell other people. You'll want them to have the same peace that you have. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 1 Corinthians 3.16 asks... 1 Peter 2.5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Our life is to be a living sacrifice. That everything I do and everything that I say is for the glory of God. 1 Peter 2.9, a familiar verse, but you are a chosen generation. Thank God. Were chosen. A royal priesthood. When the enemy comes and tells you that you're a loser, that you're nobody, remind him that you're a son, you're a daughter of God, and that you belong to a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This very word, saints, Understand this, the word for church in the New Testament is Ecclesia. It's an assembly of called out ones, is literally what it means. An assembly of called out ones. That's us. These called out ones are designated as saints. Saints. These are the people of God that are known to God, His family. And the word saint, don't look at that as a classical understanding of sinner and saint or that there's different levels of sainthood within the family of God. This is not a trophy room of classic cars that have no dents and no scratches. This is a trophy room of grace and mercy of broken people who were sinners who desperately needed salvation and then he closes as he does so many times in the New Testament grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ may I conclude with this tonight that's exactly what our world needs is grace and peace. But the problem is the grace and the peace that the world needs can't be found in the world. Real grace and real peace. Real equality. Did you hear the word I just said? Real equality. Real justice, real love can only be found within the realm of the kingdom of Jesus Christ who is Lord of Lords. Anything that the world has to offer that says that is peace has a facade in front of it and behind it is an ugly reality. Everything that the world has to offer as some sort of token of grace has strings attached to it that run all the way to eternity. But the grace and the peace that God can bring to the heart of one of His children cannot be duplicated by pill, by doctor's note, by any drink or drug or substance. The grace and the peace that you enjoy as the ecclesia, the church, the saints, the called ones It's a grace and a peace that comes directly from the Son of God Himself, Jesus Christ. And that's why we can live in this world and leave tonight with a smile on our face because of who Jesus is. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the grace and the mercy bestowed upon us. God, for the peace that you bring our hearts. Lord, thank You in Your providential hand that You kept the Apostle Paul out of Rome long enough to write this letter. God, thank You. Lord, if He had been able to go straight to them, we wouldn't have this letter. But God, in Your providence, in Your sovereign will, You kept the Apostle Paul out of Rome long enough for him to be persuaded by the Holy Spirit to write a letter that we tonight, thousands of years later, have canonized in Holy Scripture for our benefit, for our consumption, for our encouragement. I say glory to God for the Word of God. Thank You, Lord, for my Bible, that You would preserve a letter, that You would cause a letter to be written thousands of years ago, that my heart tonight in this madness and in this heartache of this life that we could be encouraged through and by Your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. We thank You from a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude for who You are and for what You are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Don't forget, Ukraine, please, please pray for those precious people, the hundreds of thousands that are already refugees that have no place to sleep tonight that is their own. Pray for them. For those who have lost loved ones needlessly because of brutality, and cruelty, and bloodlust and pride, pray for them. Pray that God will keep this thing from escalating. Do you realize that a cyber attack on one NATO country, a real cyber attack on one NATO country invokes Article 5 of NATO? It doesn't take a missile. It doesn't take troops on the ground. It takes somebody in Russia with a computer to hack a central bank in Poland, in Romania, in the UK. And World War III could be right there before we go to breakfast. You better be right with God. You better be right with fellow man. Jesus is coming. Pray for those refugees, those that are in need.